Jesus said his church was to be called a house of prayer for all nations. One of the main things you have to do if you're going to be a house of prayer is to pray. And when you read through the book of Acts, you see the church gathered together often and they prayed. The church prayed to find out who should replace Judas when the Holy uh, to replace Judas as a disciple. The church was gathered together praying when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. The church, it tells us, was devoted to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. The apostles were headed to the temple to pray in the hour of prayer when Peter healed a lame man. When the religious leaders threatened the apostles and told them to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, they gathered together and they started praying. Now that's just the first four chapters. The church gathering together to pray is a major theme in the book of Acts. If our church is to be a house of prayer, as Jesus said it would be, then we must be what the early church modeled. We must have times where we gather together and we pray. Now, since 2017, we have usually dedicated the first Wednesday night of each month as a time to gather together for the express purpose of prayer. Now, each prayer service during our monthly prayer time is a bit different but our, with our prayer focus and the format of the service, but they are all primarily uh, prayer services. In 2018, we also added times of prayer to our regular Sunday morning service. And we're going to continue all of that this year, uh, with the only exception being to our monthly prayer service being today. First Sunday of the year, we're going to have a, a concert of prayer. And we're going to dedicate today to gathering together and praying uh, for one another and with one another about various things. Now, one of the best books on prayer I ever read gave an outline on the acronym ACTS. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. The goal of the ACTS acronym is not to give us a law of how we must pray, but just to give us a, a format so we can be sure we're praying all the things we want to pray. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take time and pray through the, the ACTS acronym. We'll, we'll spend a few minutes talking about what each of, the, each of the words means, and then we'll have a focused time of prayer. After the time of prayer, we're going to sing a song uh, or two, a, a worship uh, God in, in the way that we talk about it in the, in, the, in the acronym, and then we'll move on to the next one. So our first part of the ACTS acronym is adoration. Adoration is an attitude of worship characterized by love and reverence towards God. You see this often in the Psalms. This one gives a good picture of adoration. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto Him. Sing psalms unto Him. Talk ye of all His wondrous works. Glory ye in His holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. When we worship God in prayer, we are recognizing that He and He alone is worthy of our worship. Now, Scripture gives us several reasons God is worthy of our worship. Right. So let me give you a couple. God loves us. It is unfortunate in our day... God loves us has become a cliche because this is truly a life changing truth and it should motivate us to passionately worship God, particularly in our times of prayer. The psalmist said this, praise the Lord, all you nations, praise him, all you people of the earth, for he loves us with an unfailing love. The faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now, the idea of unfailing love is never ending uh, in Jeremiah talks about he loves us with an everlasting love, a love that from eternity past to eternity future, God loves us. Nothing that we do is going to change that. Nothing that happens is going to change that. God's love for us is unchanging. It is unfailing and recognizing the wonder 
of the fact God, the great and the awesome God of heaven, loves us, should motivate us to praise Him and to worship Him and to adore Him. Secondly, God forgives us. Scripture teaches we have all sinned. Scripture also teaches all sin is ultimately against God and all sin earns the wage of sin, which is death. Now that should be a terrifying thought for us. But we, at various points in our life, we should all be like Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees God high and lifted up. He sees the angels worshiping God, crying out that God is holy, holy, holy. And rather than being irreverent to God, rather than than treating God as his big buddy in the sky, Isaiah recognizes his sin and he says, woe is me. I am undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. All of us at various times should be struck by the fact that we have sinned against a holy God and we deserve His wrath. But there is good news along with that harsh truth. That God forgives us. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man into whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. Now, that passage doesn't particularly tell us to worship God, but the context of the passage is it is a psalm of worship written by a man who has sinned grievously against God and has been forgiven. Right? We're all probably familiar with the story of David sinning with Bathsheba. David sins against, against really a lot of people in the process. He sees a woman bathing. He calls for her. He sleeps with her. Finds out she's pregnant. He calls for her husband who's a battle. He's a, one of his mighty men on the front lines. Has him come back with a goal that the man will go in and lay with his wife. And then it'll look like it's his kid. But Uriah won't do that. So David writes a letter. And in the letter he says basically, Joab, put Uriah on the front part of the lines where the battle's hot. And have him be left alone to die. And so he sends him back with this letter of his own death. Leaves him to die. He's killed David then, after a period of time, marries Bathsheba, pretends like the child is his. But God saw it all and the Lord was displeased. And when the Lord had a prophet confront David over his sin, David repented. David acknowledged his sin and he cried out to the Lord. And he wrote two psalms talking about God forgiving him. And this is one of them. David knew what a blessing it was God had forgiven him. He knew how amazing it was of what God had done for him. And so he writes, God forgives us, and he writes to praise the Lord. When we think about the fact God has saved us and God has forgiven us, despite the fact we have willfully sinned against Him, we ought to be amazed by that. We ought to be brought to our knees in worship by that. So God loves us, God forgives us, but God is also with us. One of the greatest promises given in Scripture is the fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us. David writes, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. David knew God was with him and God would never leave him. And God was always right beside him. So he would not be moved. He would stand fast and keep on serving. But his heart was also glad. His soul would rejoice. David would praise the Lord because he knew God was with him. That is a a wonderful promise for us to know. And then finally, God is 
good to us. I am constantly amazed at how good God has been to me in my life. As I have gotten older, I've come to realize God has blessed me beyond my character. And what I mean by that is if God only blessed me in accordance to what I had earned, in accordance to my good deeds and my good character, well, then I would not be, I would not have much of the goodness, the good things God has given to me in my life. God has blessed me far and away above anything I could ever ask, I could ever deserve, I could ever merit on my own. And it's true not just for me, it's true for you as well. It's true for all of us. And so the goodness of God should lead us to bless His name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgives thine iniquities, who heals thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy mouth with good things, so the youth is renewed like the eagles. We could spend a great deal of time talking about all the good things God has done for us in our life because there are many good things we have experienced in our life. So what I want to do is I do want to give you the opportunity to testify. We don't do this often, um, but I do want to do it today. If there is something you would say in the last year, 2020, for all it was, these are the good things, something good God did for me in 2020. You'd like to stand up and just adore God, give Him praise for something He did good in your life. I'm going to give you the opportunity, but we're not going to be going long. I grew up in churches and it would just stand there with deep and awkward silence until somebody felt convicted to stand up and say, I just want to say I love the Lord and I'm glad He saved me. And they sat back down and we can move on. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you a chance to stand up and say, and if nobody says something, we're going to move on. I'm not going to quit. Any others? I've been saved quite a while, and I'm thankful for that. And I love the Lord for it. But this past year, my son got cancer. We had no idea he had it. He had a while. And when they did the surgery, they got all of it. It was an aggressive, very dangerous cancer. And he's fine. He's clear. And he didn't even have to take chemo. So I give God the praise and the glory for that. Anyone else? All right. Jeff, would you stand and lead us in a prayer of adoration? The next part of the ACT acronym is confession. 
Now, confession is admitting our sin and our failures to God. Now, the, the Greek word used in the New Testament as confession, uh, it, it comes from a verb meaning to say the same things as. And, and this is, I think, an important aspect of understanding confession. Most of my life, I didn't understand that. And I thought confession was just saying, I sinned. And while that is a part of what's meant there, it is also I'm saying the same thing. And in this case, I'm saying the same thing about my sin God says about my sin. right? And so this is a, a huge, huge way to understand the idea of confession. But it's not enough to just say maybe I've sinned, but I have to say about my sin what God says about my sin. You have to say about your sin what God says about your sin. And there are some very particular things God says about our sin. For instance, God says our sin is our fault. Now, we live in a blame culture. We live in a culture where nothing is ever anyone's fault. There's road rage and little league rage. There's any number of, of these things that, that press upon us. And because of that, we have no choice but to act in these sinful ways. And yet the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says we are always responsible for our sin. The Bible says as believers, God will never let us be put in a situation where we have no choice but to sin. The Bible says my sin is always my fault. The Bible says your sin is always your fault. So if you're going to confess your sin, you have to acknowledge it's your fault. right? You, I can't go to God if Kelly and I have had a fight and I have acted hateful. I can't go to God and say, God, I, I know I said some hateful things, but you heard what she did and how she acted. And if she hadn't have been like that, then I would not be like this. And if she were different, I would have said something else. I can't do that. I have to say, it was me. I did it. It was all my fault. Secondly, God says our sin was serious. <clears throat> Again, this is a, a big thing in our day. In our day, we want to minimize our mistakes. The things we do are not as bad as what someone else does. Even if we do exactly the same thing as someone else, there are all of these reasons why what I did, why what you did is not as bad as what they did. And yet that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says all of our sin. Is serious. All of our sin earns the wage of death. All of our sin is significant. Why? Well, because of the third thing the Bible says about sin. That is, all sin is committed against God. God is ultimately the lawgiver. He is the one that has said this is right and this is wrong. And when you and I, when we say I'm going to do what God has said not to do, or I'm not going to do what God has said to do, <clears throat> that I am sinning against God. So that means when I confess my sin, I, I can't say, well, I know I did it, God, but Kelly made me. And, and in the big scheme of things, what I did is not nearly as bad as what Scott did last week. You, you saw what he did. That was way worse than what I did. But we can't do that. Instead, we have to go to God and say, I sinned. And it's my fault. It's all my fault. And it is a serious sin. And it is against you. I have sinned against you, O oh God. 
Now, there are two broad categories of sin. There are sins of commission, which is what we were familiar with. This is doing <coughs> what God has said not to do. The Bible said, whoever committeth sin transgresses the law. Sin's a transgression of the law. So the Bible says, thou shalt not, and you decided you shall. That's a sin. That's a sin of commission. But the other kind of sin, the other broad category of sin is something we may not be as familiar with. And that is a sin of omission. <coughs> this is a, a knowing it is not doing something we know we're supposed to do. Look at what James says. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. So we have to, this is, we know we're, this is so you have, God said thou shalt not, and I determined I shall, that's a sin. At the same time, God has said thou shalt do this, and I said, well, I don't think I shall. That, too, is a sin. Knowing what we ought to do and not doing it. Now, genuine confession involves repentance. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin that results in a change of life. The idea of a change of life is significant. When John the Baptist came preaching repentance, he said, Bring forth fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, don't just say you're repented. Let your life be evidenced of this. Right? So... If, again, using the idea of me saying hateful things to Kelly, which would never happen, but if it did, and I said hateful things to Kelly, and then I told her I was sorry, and I confessed to God, and I repented, and then I went right back into the room, and I jumped on Kelly again because I had to talk to tell God that I was sorry for the sins I had committed, and yelled at her some more, have I genuinely repented? Have I brought forth fruit meat for repentance? Well, of course, the answer is no. No, repentance brings about a change of life, and the change of life is seen in not doing what I did do, or starting to do what I didn't do. Right? So repentance changes us. It's not enough to say, I'm sorry. It's not enough to say, I did it. This confession is supposed to bring about a change in our life as well. Now, with repentance, there's often a sorrow for the sin committed. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now, the sorrow... Godly sorrow that brings repentance to salvation is different than worldly sorrow. And here's the best way to understand a worldly sorrow. A worldly sorrow sorrows at being caught. Right? Or it sorrows at consequences for the sin. So I, I yell at Kelly and I act ugly. Well, that's it. She's leaving me. She's done. Well, now I'm really sorry. I don't want to lose my marriage. I don't want to lose my family. I'm really sorry. But I wasn't sorry until it was going to cost me something. Or, or Kelly was Facebook living and I didn't know and that went out and everybody saw me act like an idiot on Facebook. Well, now I'm sorry because I'm humiliated because everybody saw me act like a moron. Gosh, I'm sorry. But I'm not sorry for what I did. I'm sorry people saw me. Or I'm sorry there are consequences. But that's not a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow, being sorry we did it no matter what. It, it's, it's saying I have sinned against a good God. Who has done good things for me. He has loved me. He has forgiven me. He has poured out good blessings upon my life. And, and I am sorry. And I'm sorry whether there are any earthly consequences or not. And I'm sorry whether or not anybody in all the world ever finds out what I did. I'm sorry. I've sinned against God. Now if we confess, the Bible has given us a promise. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a time of confession and repentance. Um, it's going to be silent to ourselves. This isn't a time to we don't have to jump up and tell everybody what we've done. But as we pray, we, we start by praying this, maybe. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me the way of everlasting life. So maybe the first part of the prayer of confession is saying, God, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? If there is, show me what I need to do. Also, if there's things you know, you just know you've done. You know there's sin. There's already issues. This is a time to repent, to confess, to start the new year afresh. Right? Well, if you want to come to the altar, you can. The next part of the acronym, the ACTS acronym is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is simply thanking God for all He has done in our lives. Now, the Bible, of course, has a lot to say about the importance of Thanksgiving. It says to let our lives overflow the thanksgiving for all he has done it says in everything give thanks for this is the will of god in christ jesus concerning you now honestly those can seem like really big statements to let our lives overflow with thanksgiving and in everything give thanks and i think in the easy times of life when everything is working the way we think it should it's not that hard to see it's easy to be thankful But there are times where life is hard. Times when when bad things happen in our lives. Sometimes they're they're our fault. We do things and make our lives difficult. Sometimes other people do things and they make our lives difficult. And sometimes it's just we live in a fallen, sin-cursed world where bad things are going to happen. And in those times where life is difficult, how can we do this? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So it's always God's will... For us to be thankful. How do we do that? How can we let our lives overflow with thanksgiving? How can we give thanks in everything? I think to do this, we have to think beyond here and now. If you've been here before, you've heard me explain it this way. But when we talk about being thankful, if our focus is on this earth, then our ability to let our lives overflow with thanksgiving and to be thankful in every circumstance is going to be very limited. But if we look beyond, if we look to Jesus, who He is and what He's done, we are always able to be thankful. Now, notice it doesn't say for everything give thanks. There are bad things that happen. We just can't give thanks for them. But even in the midst of the bad things, we can find reasons to be thankful. So we think about Jesus and what He's done. We think about in the past. In the past, Jesus has died for us. Now, that doesn't change. Right, if you're a if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins, and you've been born again. Jesus died for you in the past, and and, and the circumstances of life, though terrible at times, though hard, they don't change what He has done. And so, no matter what else has gone on in your life, you can always say, "Thank you, God, my Savior has died for me." If you've repented of your sins and you've believed in Jesus Christ, you've been saved. There is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You've been born again. You were adopted by God into His family. You are accepted in the Beloved. All of that is true no matter what is going on right here and right now. So even if everything here is bad, even if it's all your fault and you are making a mess of your life, thank you, God. 
I am accepted in the beloved. Thank you, God, I've been adopted as your child through faith in Jesus Christ. And then in the present, Jesus is always at work in our life. I mean, he is at work in our life doing thousands and thousands of things every day. And and we're maybe aware of three or four. But if we put forth the effort, we can see him even even in hard times. Even in hard times, there is something he's doing. I'll, I'll give you two examples from my life on this. One is something significant. And the other is something that wouldn't seem like a big deal, but to me at the time it was it was neat. One is, of course, we're familiar with Lizzie. And when she was born and everything started to go bad, and we didn't know what was going on, and we went to Amarillo and it got worse. So they sent us to the city. And we arrived in the city and we got to the apartment of where we were going to stay. And before it was time to go to the hospital, I had time to read my Bible. And I was reading my Bible and I, and I just happened to read in a passage where Jarius' daughter died. And the people come to Jarius and they tell him, your daughter is dead. And the Bible says, Jesus, hearing the report, he said, be not afraid, just just trust me. And so I read my Bible and I went on and we got to the hospital. We walk in, there's these three doctors there. They look at Lizzie, they tell us she's got this debilitating disease. She's going to die by the time she's five. We're going to have to watch her heart give out. She's probably going to suffocate or die of a heart attack and probably till five. But we can enjoy her till then. They turn and they walk out. I mean, we, we hadn't I mean, we had not even set our stuff down. And at that time, the, that passage I read. Jesus, hearing the report, said, be not afraid, just trust in me. And we went through, we were in the hospital. We. I mean, you would not believe how many doctors told us Lizzie was going to die by the time she's 5, 8, 10. She's going to be 13 later this month. And throughout that time in the hospital, we just held on to, to that phrase that I, that I just happened to read right before we went to the hospital. I mean, that was God. That was Jesus saying, I'm here. Right here, right now, in the worst time of your life. I'm here. So we could thank Him for that. Now, another one is is not significant, but it was just a neat thing. I was reading in the book of Acts, and it talked about that the church at at Antioch was ministering unto the Lord. I thought, I don't have any idea what that phrase means. What does it mean when a church gathers together to minister to the Lord? And I didn't think much about it. In fact, I kind of said it out loud and wondered, Lord, what does that mean? I get up the next morning, and I go to the gym, and I go to turn open my my podcast up to find a podcast to listen to. And one that popped up, the first one that had been recorded the day before it showed up was ministering unto the Lord. I mean, it, it, what an amazing thing. It, life wasn't bad at that day. It was just a neat thing. God was there in that moment to tell you. So in the present, if we look, we can see. We can see He's there. And I think the world conditions us to see these sort of things as a coincidence. But the world conditions us to say acts of God are bad things. And then we just get lucky with the other things. But what if we turn that Lord of more around a little bit? And all of these random things that were good, instead of that was just a coincidence, we just got lucky. What if that's just the goodness of God showing us He's there and He loves us? And then, so past and present, and I spent too much time there, and then future. 
Jesus has promised to work all things for our good and for His glory. He's promised to return to take us to be with Him. He's promised we'll be in a place where there's no more sickness, nor death, nor parting, nor sorrow, no more tears. That we can... That, that doesn't change. No matter how bad things are now, that doesn't change. He's still coming for us. We're still going to go be with Him. All of that is still going to come to pass. I think if we, we look, we train ourselves to look, we can see God's blessings in our life. And, and we need to because the Bible says every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variables, neither shadow of turning. Is there anything good in your life? You can thank God for it because it is a gift from Him. Is there anything you've ever had in your life that was good? You can thank God for it. That is a gift from Him. Make no mistake, the world doesn't give you good things. The flesh, our sinful nature doesn't give us good things. And the devil most certainly doesn't give us good things. But God, our great and good and glorious God... He gives us good things in our lives. And if we can train ourselves to look and to see it in this time, we will see the goodness of God all throughout our life. And that way, what we can do is our lives can overflow with thanksgiving for all He has done. And no matter how bad things are, we can give Him thanks because we know this is God's will for our life. Evelyn, would you lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving? Uh, the next aspect of the ACTS acronym is supplication. Supplication is simply asking something of someone. In this case, we're asking God for something. Now, there are several truths um, about supplication, about praying and asking God to, to provide for us the things we need that we're going to look at. So if you have your Bible, turn it to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to look at verses 7 through 11 real real quick clock. And it's a familiar passage, but it, it teaches us quite a bit about praying. And supplication is simply the part of prayer what we're most familiar with, asking God the things we want and the things we need. Um, now, one thing about this before we get into it is, is God wants us to ask Him for things. Right? Prayer and casting our cares upon Him and, and praying about these things, this was all God's idea. So this is something to understand. So Matthew 7, 7-11, Ask and it shall be given to you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you? Uh, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to those which ask him? Now, this tells us four truths about prayer that we need to understand. First, pray actively. Right? So the words Jesus used, ask, seek, and knock, those are all action words. And this should cause us to realize prayer is an active process. But right? it's not passive, it, which seems strange. We, we tend to think of prayer as maybe something that's passive, but it's not. It is a very, very active thing to do. And it seems that each of these gets the intensity arises. You ask, and, and that's active, but seeking is more active than asking, and knocking is more active than seeking. And so it seems as we pray for things, we are active in doing so. And the more we want it and the longer we go, the more active we become in our prayer life in seeking 
Jesus to, to provide these things for us. And, and if there's one idea, one lesson from this, I think it's the idea of being wholehearted in our prayer. Right? We probably should not expect to receive much in prayer if our prayer life is a half-hearted prayer every other week. Right? We probably should not expect that to really bring heaven down to us, as the old saying goes. I think if we truly intend to see God do things, our prayer life should be consistent and it should be passionate. Uh, just we, we need to be that way. Secondly, pray persistently. Now, something you, you probably don't see, well, it depends on what translation. If you have a New Living Translation, you'll notice it says, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and, and keep on knocking. And, and the idea is there in the Greek, it's a continuing tense and it pictures this, not just a one-time thing. It's not that we pray once, we seek once, we knock once, and then we go on. We, we, we pray and keep on praying until we receive an answer. Right? The, the, the picture here is that of persistence in our prayer. Right? So constant, daily, regular, crying out to God prayer. I, I think... In some translations and in other places, it talks about importunity. And really, I think the picture can be that of, have you ever had, when you when your kids were little and they wanted to go somewhere or you promised to get them something? You know, let's go, we'll go get ice cream. Is it time? Is it time? Can we go? Can we go? Can we go? Can we go? Is it time? Is it time? Can we go? That level of persistence, I think, is kind of the picture that we're supposed to see here. That's how... God wants us to cry out, God, please, God, we need this, God, this is desperate, God, help, God, provide, God, do, just a constant. Now we think, well, my kids got on my nerves when they did that, but we don't get on God's nerves when we do that. God wants us to be that persistent in our prayers for Him. So we pray persistently, but we also pray expecting, expectantly. Notice how many times it says will or shall in, in mine. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. For everyone that asks receives. And to, and he, and it pictures again, everyone that seeks finds. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. These are statements of certainty. Right? The idea is God will answer our prayer. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but just... Pray expectantly for God to answer. And, and we pray expectantly, but we pray confidently. Here's how we can... I think this may be the key to all of it. What man is there of you? If you ask his son bread, we'll give him a stone. If you ask a fish, we'll give him a serpent. Right. So, if your kid comes to you and asks you for something they need for their necessities of life, are you instead going to give them something that would hurt them? Right. If they ask... For a fish to eat, are you going to give them a poisonous snake that will bite them and kill them? Well, no. Of course you're not. You're not a psycho. Uh, if they ask for bread to eat, are you going to give them a stone and let them starve to death? No, of course not. If we, who are fallen and sinful and imperfect, if we will not give bad things to our kids, and we will help them and give them what they need, how much more, it goes on, if ye then being evil... Know how to give good gifts unto your children. How much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to those 
who ask Him. This, I think, is the key to all of it. God is our good Heavenly Father who wants to give us good things. He wants to provide for us. He wants to put these things in our life. He, he wants to. And since I know God is a good Heavenly Father and He will give me good things in my life, well, the, the natural response, I will pray confidently for that. And since I'm praying confidently, I will pray expectantly. I mean, I expect God's going to answer. And then I'm going to be persistent. Because I know just because I ask once doesn't mean God's going to do it right that second. Because He's God and I'm not. And so He may want me to wait. And He may want me to pray and pray and keep on praying. And I'm going to be active about it. Because I know how good my God is. So we pray. Now, I do want to point out something here. That I don't think... I hope it doesn't come across as like a wet blanket or a faith killer. But here's the deal. As great as this promise is, right? God asking it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened. As great as this is, this is not a blank check promise to get whatever we want from God. God is not a gene who exists to grant our every wish. He is not our servant. We are His servants. He is God. We are not. And while there are lots of verses that talk about God answering prayer, and, and I, I think God always answers prayer, what we have to understand is there are more legitimate answers than yes. Right? There is, if we pray and we ask, God says yes. And He does exactly what we ask Him to do in the way we ask Him to do it. Yes. But sometimes God says, not right now. We have to pray persistently. We have to pray and keep on praying. Because for whatever reason, whether God wants us to wait, God wants to see if we're persistent, God knows we're not ready for it right now, God makes us wait and His answer, and it is an answer, is not right now. But, and, and here's the hard thing at times, sometimes God says no. And make no mistake, no is an answer. I mean, let me ask you this. We can often, we have a hard time, well, God says no and, and that's not fair. Do you have anyone in your life who says yes to you about everything you ask all the time? I mean, do, do any of us have someone that always says yes no matter what we ask? I, I doubt any of us do. And yet... Our, our spouse can tell us no, and we don't be like, well, my, my spouse is stupid. I hate them. They're just, they're not real. Our, our friends can tell us no, and we don't, well, that's it. Delete them. I, I hate them. They're stupid. I, I, don't, I don't have any friends at all. We don't do that with anyone. Anyone but God. Now, why is that? Why can I accept a no from my parents or a no from my wife or a no from my children or a no from my church family and not accept a no from God? When the reality is my wife is imperfect and she could be wrong. And my kids are imperfect and they are probably wrong. And our church is imperfect and we could be wrong. But God is never wrong. What if His no is the best answer for our lives? When I was in the Army, I wanted to go to Ranger School. That's all I had ever wanted to do in my whole life was be an Army Ranger. 
And I had a slot lined up to go to Ranger School. All I had to do was take a Ranger Physical. But on the day I was slated to take my Ranger Physical so I could go to Ranger School, my squad, my platoon sergeant said, you have to go to a range because we need X amount of people to go. And I prayed for him to change his mind because... I wanted to take my ranger physical and go to ranger school and be an army ranger. It's all I ever wanted to be in my whole life. I prayed as hard as I could for God to change that man's mind. And he didn't. I went to the range. I lost my slot. I became disillusioned with the army. I got out. I went home. started going to college, working as a security guard. And all in all, I was fairly disappointed. Because my whole life, since I was five, had been geared toward being a soldier... And now I'm not a soldier anymore. I, I mean, I didn't even know what to do with my life. And I go off. I'm in the guard still. So they'll pay for college. And I go off to summer camp. And I come back. And I'm discouraged. And I'm, I'm really frustrated by it. And I'm talking to my prayer partner about it. And he says, well, while you were gone, there was a family from Arkansas that moved to our church. And I've got an 18-year-old daughter. 19-year-old daughter. She has two kids, they said. Of course, it was Jacob and Caleb, her brother and sister. They didn't know. Everybody just assumed. If I had re-enlisted, I wouldn't have been there when Kevin and Diane and Jacob and Caleb moved to Arkansas, moved to Fort Gibson. The life I have now would not exist if God had said yes and changed Sergeant Keeler's mind. And I can tell you, I don't know what would have happened if I'd went to Ranger School, whether I'd passed and how kind of what would have happened beyond that. But I can promise you with absolute certainty the life I have now is far better than the life I would have had otherwise. God's no was far better for me than a yes at that time. And we may not see it in the moment, but in time, there will be a way where we can see that God's no was better than a yes because He saw... God saw all this. God saw my marriage to Kelly. He saw our children. He saw me being a pastor of this wonderful church. He saw all of this. And I couldn't see anything like this. God's no is not coming from a place of selfishness or hatred or cruelty or meanness or spite. God's no is coming from a place of absolute, unconditional, unfailing love for us. It's coming from a place of omniscience where he sees into the future and he knows what is best and what is waiting for us. And if I can, if I can accept a no from Scott or from Kelly or from Red or from Diane or from Caitlin or Sarah for Kelly, from Jeff and Nisa, then surely, surely I can accept no from God. Because we are all flawed and He is perfect. God always answers. But it is possible that answer will be a no. So what I want to do now is I do want to give us categories of ways to pray. So on your paper, uh, you can break it up if you want to. Give you three categories of things to pray for over the period of 2021. First, personal. What do you want to see God do in you, through you, or for you in 2021? Secondly is church. What would you like to see God do in, through, and for our church in 2021?
21. And then lost or uncommitted. And three people at least. That you want to see either saved or wholeheartedly committed to Christ. By the end of the year. Focus on about three for each category. I'll give you a few minutes to, to do that. Okay, when you have your three, we'll have time of prayer. You can come to the altar to pray. You can pray where you are. And then once we're through praying, we will have another time of worship and we will dismiss our service.